Hello, friends and family. Welcome back to the Sober is Dope podcast. I'm extremely excited today to bring you guys a very special guest. This is my boy and friend and colleague and um, everything, Saban Mayfield. We have a lot in common, whether it's music, film, recovery. This guy's an all-star. As promised, I told you guys we're going to be bringing season three of Sober is Dope in huge um, shout out to Rex, shout out to Claire Kamai from Rehab Studios, our last two guests who totally rocked the house. And we're just going to keep the heat going with um, Sabin. Sabin is extremely, extremely cool guy, man. I mean, you know, when we got in touch, Sabin just literally just changed the way I looked at things. Um, his humility and his work ethic is um, ins- inspiration for me as I'm taking everything Soap is dope and personally pop you can and related to the next level. So we're really excited to have him. Um, let me read Saban's bio and we're going to bring him in live and we're about to rock the house. Saban Mayfield is an award-winning filmmaker and musician. He founded the LA-based production company Stay Fly LLC in 2012 as an incubator for himself and other filmmakers developing original content. As a writer, director, and producer, Sabin is known for tackling relevant subject matter with an innovative and bare-bone approach. After three award-winning short films, his award-winning feature debut, Boomtown, was released in 2017 by 1091 Pictures, followed by his award-winning documentary, Time Can't Be Wasted, in 2020. As a songwriter and artist, Sabin is breaking barriers with his music and demonstrates the value of genre crossovers with his unique sound and lyrical content. Sabin's music has been featured in films and TV series around the globe. Sabin released his debut EP Halfway There in 2021 with Sona Blast Records. In 2021, Sabin founded the music publishing company Cashville and Music. In the ever-changing world, Sabin continues to push the barriers as a multi-hyphenate, delivering a diverse catalog of content while staying true to the man behind it. So with no further ado, I'm really excited. And let me just say this, my friends and family out there, never give up, right? Because I know Sabin and this guy maintains a strong humility despite anything, while he's working, while helping people in the recovery space, whether he's doing music, whether he's doing an all-star Hollywood movie, whether he's with his family making music, the guy remains accessible, humble, and he's always pushing the envelope as far as creativity is concerned. So we're really excited to bring him on the Sober is Dope podcast today to talk to us, one, about work ethic, and two, about just taking your life to the next level through creativity and following through on your passion. So I am really, really, really pumped today. Again, like I said, December 15th, 2022 will make 10 years sober for me. So this whole year has been a miracle year. I did so much this year. Um, you know, we shot documentaries this year, movies, we put out books, we started NFTs, we took Sober's Dope to the next level, we got our health back, we started Food Sobriety, uh, we dropped our second album, Sober's Dope, which is out now. Um, we're working with a potential distribution deal with a real major label, 
And I'm really excited because I could not have done any of this without my recovery. So please hear me and hear me well. If you're out there, do not give up on yourself. Give yourself the leverage that's needed to take your life to the next level because you deserve it. And it's only a few ways to get there. You have to believe in yourself. You have to dream big and you have to match your work ethic with the dream and with your faith. So like they say in the Bible, faith without works is dead. So as much as you want to wonder and dream or the law of attraction is in you, you have to maintain a very positive energy and you have to put that work forth to realize your dreams. So with no further ado, we, it looks like we got Sabin um, linking in with us. We're going to tap Sabin in live on the Sober's Dope podcast and I'm excited. Hold on. Let's get our guy in. All right, all right. So, all right, we got the man Sabin's in. Sober's Dope community, we're about to rock. Sabin, you there? Here we go. Yo, hit him, pop. Ah, that's our guy. What's up, brother? How you feeling? I'm better now. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Well, look, I'm recording, but, you know, we also edit. So, one, welcome to Sober's Dope. It's good finally speaking to you face-to-face, whether it's Zoom or not. (laughs) Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey. Hey. So look, ladies and gentlemen, as promised, we got the great Saban Mayfield in the house. And look, I'm really excited again. Season three of Sober is Dope is alive and well. And as you, as promised, we read his bio. This guy's the real deal. Saban, what's up today? Shout out to Sober's Dope community. And how you feeling, brother? I'm feeling great, man. I'm grateful. I'm super honored to be here with you and on the podcast. I'm a, I'm a fan. Pop, you can't <laughs> showing love from day one. Open for anything and ready for everything. Well, thank you, brother. Well, first thing first, what I was saying earlier when we was introducing you was... <clears throat> One thing I get about you is the one is humility, because in my eyes, I'm a fan and you're a big deal, but you always remain humble and accessible. But just watching you and how you move online, there's a great amount of creativity and attention to detail in the creative space that you put out, not to mention what we don't see behind the scenes. Um, so I wanted to let everybody know this episode is highlighting someone that's extremely prolific in the creative space and that also finds time for community service and to give back. So thank you so much for being here because a lot of our audience are either in active uh, addiction right now or active recovery or they're dealing with mental health or they're looking for inspiration and you're the exact type of person that we want to display. Um, so thank you so much for um, just being you and being here. Oh, man, it's a pleasure. Same to you. Same to you as well. Thank you. So before we get into anything, can you give us like the ESPN version of who Saban Mayfield is and what got you to this space and your inspiration point? Just give us a quick overview and breakdown of you and you have the floor. Man, I'm just I'm just a kid from Hendersonville, Tennessee. 
Uh, that's where I'm from originally. Um, that's where I was born, but I was raised in Los Angeles. I'm an only child of a single mother. And um, I grew up, you know, around creatives. And I grew up around folks who were real humble and really hardworking and blue collar, even though they had some real fly shit going on, you know. Right. Uh, they were just relatable, you know. And um, I, I saw them work just like the next man. And, um, you know, I, uh, I saw that, you know, I saw that there was a vested interest in me paying attention to the detail that if I was cutting corners, I was only cheating myself. Um, and I understood that early. It, it took a while to kind of take hold in my own personal recovery, you know? Uh, but I feel like it's all kind of coming together now. All right. Beautiful. And when you say coming together now, so it takes time to really get to that point. I feel like I can relate to that. Like for me, I mean, I've been doing music for over 20 years. I've been doing all type of things. But for some reason lately, I'm I'm feeling like the more you stay dedicated to the learning process and committed to the creative process and contributing to the universe, by putting things out there, you get to this point where you feel like, well, I actually start to feel like things are coming together. I'm actually starting to really feel the potential that this thing could possibly work, right? Because we doubt ourselves a lot, right? How do you deal with like seeing everything you're doing from the music to the films and just being out there? How do you deal with doubt, self-doubt and fear in the creative space and um, that cripples a lot of people from just never realizing their dreams of doing anything. How do you push through that? Um, you know, man, like I, I just like I'm really clear on the fact that um, no one can take away from me that, that I did it. You know, regardless of the outcome, like regardless whether or not people love it, people hate it, it blows up, it doesn't like I'm not doing it with a projected outcome. You know, I'm not doing it to gain recognition. Like, if you like it, cool. If you don't, cool. You know, and it, it took a long time to get that way. But for me, it's just a personal sense of accomplishment. You know, of <clears throat> at the end of the day, I would like to know that I did the things that I said that I wanted to do. Um, Because even in a short period of time, like, you know, 20 years isn't that long. You know, I'm I'm about at the same amount of time. And I can look back and be like, hey, man, you know what? Like. I did a lot of things in these 20 years that people wish that they have had done or could have done, you know? Right. Right. Um, and I, I, but I, I make it about me. I don't make it about you. And, and I did it for, you know, I did it for a claim or thinking that it would fill that void. You know, we, we all do things for the wrong reasons at points in time, but I just, for me, it feels good. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I definitely could relate to that. Like, when I was in my addiction, I gave up music and I was doing music for years. And I'm telling you, going back to, I think, 2015 was when my producers, um, Nudge, shout out to Nudgy Nudge. He did the record that we on and that's going to we got to play that. Shout out to Big Nudge. Nudge called me and was like, "I right, so here's the thing, Pop. I know you're in recovery. I know you don't want to do the music thing. I know you kind of don't really like the space because of what that what comes with it, the drinking, the partying. Um, and he was like, but I, I have a proposal. 
Uh, you know, I have a studio set up for you. I have one of our, 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 our day one engineers and producers, Ed Ape. Shout out to Ed Ape, too. He has his studio. We'll do private sessions with just you. Let's just do some records. Get your creative space back and see where it goes, right? And I was like, ah, I was kind of skeptical because I was so serious about my recovery. I, I was just, that was my main focus. Um, and I said, okay, this time if I do it, I'm going to do it just for me just to create, just because I love the art and I'm not going to impose or expect anybody to do anything with it, right? I'm not going to be slamming into people's faces, but I'm just going to put it out there. And if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. If you rock with it, you rock with it. And I think that's the best way to create because it takes away that kind of like pretense that if I make it, then I'm going to continue doing it. But if you're doing it for the love, why not just do it? If you really a music head, make music. That's how I looked at it. And it took one of my friends to push me to that place to get there. So thank you for that, because it brought that back to me. If anyone that's looking, thinking of listening to this, think about creativity and the things you want to do. Just do it. All right. Like we know creativity is the best way to beat boredom. And it's the best way to tame the beast. They say busy tames the beast. But I'm saying, well, you got to you got to be creative first to create that busyness through creativity. So that's how when you bored, when I was bored, it's because I had nothing to do. I was like, well, I'm just sitting here. Time's passing. So thank you for that, brother. Thank you for that. So let me ask you this. All right. So you're the the creator of the award-winning um, movie Boomtown, man. And, um, and I just wanted to ask you, what was the, that point where you went from films to music or was music always in the mix? Because like you like I, I saw you doing stuff for the music space and I'm like, yo, this guy's a big Hollywood guy, man. He's doing his music stuff and he has the, all of this great stuff, the documentary. So how does that work into play? Like the music, the the films and how do you juggle that on every day? I, you know, like I had a conversation with somebody about that yesterday and they were like, well, what, what do you like? What are you better at? What do you like more? What do you like trying to narrow it down? And, and I'm like, I don't want to narrow it down. Right. You know, like I always loved making music. I always wanted to express myself. I was really, really shy as a kid, you know? So it took a while for me to find my voice, like right. as an artist, you know, as an MC. But making film was what I grew up around. But those things always went hand in hand. It's like music videos, music, films, powerful scores, directors that I admired, doing music videos, doing commercials, doing feature films. So it's all it's all one thing to me, you know, because it's right. about telling stories. And like you said, like I get bored. Like I was like so focused on some like film business that it was like driving me cuckoo. You know, I was like, oh, we got to raise this money for this film. And it was like, it was the same like crazy that I'd get like trying to get high, you know, wow. I'm like, I got, I got a cop, you know, I got to get this, I got to hit this lick so I can get this for the next thing, you know? And I wasn't doing it cause I loved it anymore. And then the opportunity came to try to like refocus on music, you know, coincidentally, there's a very like instant gratification thing that I get from the music. Like, right. You know, I can go grab a beat, write a song, record it and release it today. And that's like the, you know, that's the like, that's the quick hitter, you know? Right. <laughs> um, but there's a balance, you know, it just, it ebbs and flows, you know? And, you know, I just, it's kind of like all I know. Yeah. You know, 
so I, I mean, I can't really imagine doing any, anything else, you know, and even, even with all that, like all the stuff that I, I do, I guess you would say, I think about all the time that I'm like not doing stuff, you know, I'm like, right. oh, I got to finish this thing or, oh, I got to finish that thing. But I try not to put all this pressure on it, you know, and like try to balance, you know, like balance has been the most important thing for me and, and trying to learn in my life, which I'm, I'm getting a little bit better about it because when I'm out of balance, like how I feel, right? you know, that feeling is so unsettling that I have to like check myself, you know, it's like, even with us, like people were saying, like you were saying before, like, I don't like the music business. Right. I'm not really in, in industry. I'm into the art of it. So like, we got to talk shop, like business about a song. And I'm just like, yeah, okay. Like, right. I just want, let's just let people hear it. Cool. Like, I don't have to take more than is mine. You know, I don't have to like try to control everything. I'm like, let's just make it, you know? Records. Tell us about your new album, brother, and the inspiration behind it, the title, the songs, and um, and definitely thank you for um letting um supporting us on the album and doing Dear Addicts. So yeah. we got the Dear Addicts remix coming to the Sobers Though community, man. Y'all gonna love it. Saving blessed it, and we working hard to get it out to you guys. So tell us about your new album, brother. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So actually the, the debut one is halfway there and yeah. that one came out. That was the first album, the son of blast. And that was like, right. you know, it was, it was kind of a pun, like halfway there, kind of halfway to like settling some like unfinished family business. Right. And, and you know, it was like a country hip hop mashup. We used a lot of like samples and stuff. The new one is like devil make care boy. And yeah, um, yeah, that's right. That's that, right. That was a vibe. Yeah. That right, was a that's vibe. a vibe. That's a vibe. With, I produced it, or I didn't produce it. My dear friend, Jeff Davis, produced all the tracks on it. Oh, wow. Dope. Right, right. right. Um, Jeff, shout out it, to so Jeff. It had, yeah, it had it had a very consistent sound, and there's something about his his style of production that informs the way that I write. Um, and he actually came up with the name, you know? Wow. Um, and I was like, and I can't remember the reference that he used, but it's, it's kind of like... Um, I'd have to ask him about it, but I was like, yeah, that's cool. And I had this like visual in mind already for it. So it was just one of those things that it came together. But yeah, I was really proud of that. And I started working on that right after halfway there, coincidentally, because I wanted to. Yeah, they kind of bled right into each other. You was like knocking them out, man. Yeah. And I was like, I want to just keep this momentum going. And I was in that creative space and we were still coming out of COVID. So I was like, you know. I was still that. That's a government produced project right there. <laughs> All right, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, man. No, I, I definitely was. Uh, I definitely love your music, bro. And I and I like how you do it, man. You drop a lot of visuals. You be pumping out the um the videos and um and um and I know it's like you know for all artists out there. It's tough when you're doing stuff in an environment where sometimes the people closest to you don't always show you the same support and you feel like you're doing this thing sometimes. It's a lonely road. I remember you posting something and was like, well, it, it just it kind of it kind of spoke to the sentiment that, you know, 
sometimes the people closest to you are just don't really, they're not really there. They don't really pay attention to how important it is to support other artists. So from an artist to another artist, we definitely want to send a message out there. If you're out there, support your friends that's doing it, man. Support the artists out there. You know, it takes nothing. I always tell people like, you know, Every artist that we love, whether it's Drake, uh, whether it's Michael Jackson, whether it's you, whatever, you know, at one point it's like they was just making music and the people around them was like, yeah, all right, whatever. <laughs> and then one day the yeah. world goes, yes. And then everybody else want to come in and be like, yeah, we was part of this thing. But it's important to support artists, man. Do, do not sleep on supporting artists. So, and it doesn't that, take yeah. anything. It doesn't take, it doesn't take right. anything to repost, to share, to give a shout out. Like your success does not equate to my failures. Exactly. Like there's plenty of success to go around. And if someone asks me something like, and I learned this in recovery, like I just say, yeah. Mm, that's deep. I mean, sometimes I, sometimes I got to think about it a little bit. But right, right. There's certain things I'm like, yes, why not? Like, why not? It's important. I got friends who are fighters. I got friends who own gyms. I got friends who are filmmakers. I got friends who do podcasts. It's like, right. it doesn't cost anything to just spread the love, you know? It doesn't share anything to spread the love, man. It does not. So speaking of recovery, brother, we have never really got really deep into it. But I always sense that, you know, you had somewhat of a story to tell. Because when we dropped Dear Addicts, you kind of was like, yo, what's up, man? Like, I really like this space. And I really like the way you're bringing this over. It's dope thing. And I want to support. And you did support. You know, you came on the record and uh, we was really on it, man. And um, so can you tell us about your experience in recovery, your personal journey, any bouts you may have had with addiction and any um, and your healing story, if you have one? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I don't like I don't have any issues sharing that. I'm, I'm like, I want to empower people by it. And I'm, you know, I'm a hope to die dope and alcoholic. You know, like I have that gene, you know, mm-hmm. um, it could be, it could be drugs, alcohol, food, work, cleaning, sex, like you, just whatever the obsession du jour is. And, and I, you know, when you, when you hear about people talking to recovery and, and, um, you know, they, they, they talk about the feelings and I related to those feelings, you know, well before I took my first drink, you know, and then when I took that first drink, um, you know, it, it, my, my whole MO was an outward reach for inner security. Mm. You know, I, I thought that there would be something there to, to fill that void. And, you know, I got sober like the first time at 21 and I never thought I would drink again. You know, I never thought I would use and, and the first couple of years were pretty, pretty intense. And, uh, you know, but I got very involved for me. I'm, I'm involved in, in AA. Um, okay. that works for me. Same. Um, along with other things, you know, I, I adjunct that with therapy and, you know, I'm as much as you can do, the better, you know what I mean? Right. <clears throat> but sobriety is the foundational piece for everything else in my life. You know, without that, I don't have anything. Um, and I got really involved in AA, you know, but I was still the same old, you know, I was, I was completely terrified to be honest with you, you know, and I, I motivated from a sense of lack, from a sense of not enough. And it really interfered. And of course I behaved in a way to try to fill that void and we don't typically fill it with the right things. And 
uh, a mentor of mine said to me one day, he's like, if you don't treat your alcoholism, your alcoholism will create situations in your life that you must drink over. Wow. And that was my experience. And at six, almost seven years sober, I had created an untreated, dry, dry, drunk, dry alcoholism. I had created situations that I had to drink over. You know, it was make the ultimate sacrifice or drink. So I drank. And thank God I drank because it gave me the opportunity to fight another day. And I blamed the recovery community. Okay. I was like, it's your fault I drank. Mm. All you guys are fucked up. All you guys are sick. All you guys are hypocrites. All you guys were this. It was like, I wanted it to be your fault. And and I stayed away for like seven years, you know, and this is always a bit of a dangerous story to tell, but my life got better. Mm. I started a company. I got really involved in film. All those pieces started to come together and it was really beautiful. But when self-will started to run out of fuel, I started to sputter, mm. you know. And I crashed and burned and, you know, untreated alcoholism once again had me by the throat, you know. Uh, And it was the first time that someone had explained to me, like, how deadly and insidious it could be not consuming substances, you know. But, um, and I amassed some sobriety after that point, almost two years. And I went out again. Okay. Because I wasn't changing my, I wasn't changing my behavior. Still lying, cheating, stealing, you know, running around with people I shouldn't have been running around with, you know, trying to be a big shot. Not, I didn't want to be a man amongst men. I didn't want to be a worker amongst workers. I thought if I was not somebody, then that meant that I was nobody, mm-hmm. you know, and I was so afraid of what you thought about me that I wasn't willing to do the things that were going to make me feel good about me. Right. You know, I was just so, I was just so lost. And it took me probably. It took me probably six, six years to get sober again. In and out, in and out, in and out, in and out, suffering, 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 causing damage. And, you know, not to say that I've done it perfectly, but the thing that really changed for me is I did seek outside help, which I needed for me, you know. Um, and I found one man, my sponsor, who had what I wanted. And that I was willing to tell absolutely everything to no matter what. Mm. I told him everything about me. I tell him everything about me. And I talk to him every day. And from that relationship, it started to ripple outward. And funny story, you know, probably earlier this year, I was in a very big transition in my life, you know. And it really triggered a lot of old trauma for me. And I went to a, <clears throat> I went to a place that was a workshop type setting where they specifically work on trauma and codependency. And it was the first time I'd really addressed the underlying issues. And it was, it was life saving and life changing for me. Um, it's a place called, I'm, I'm not, uh, maybe you can add it in the chat. I don't want to be like, you know, mm-hmm. throwing any shout outs for things like no, that. No, you can't, you can't. It's fine. Uh, but there is a place called the Bridge to Recovery in okay. Bowling Green, Kentucky, and they do amazing, amazing work there. Um, and it was the first time that life had shown up and I stayed sober and I hunkered down and I did the work. And that to me is what they're talking about when they talk about having a spiritual awakening. 
Amazing, man. Oh, that was one. That was one amazing testimony, brother. Well, first thing first, congratulations. And um, thank you for just sharing that. We are also friends of AA, also friends of therapy. On the sobers, though, we have this kind of all-in approach, like, hey, prayer, meditation, do what you have to do, find a sponsor, do it, work the steps, you know, to deal with the mental health aspect, deal with all of that. Um, But it's amazing that you landed how you landed. Like, you had to go on your own personal road of self-discovery, right? You had to shed aspects of the ego, like, you know, I need to be out there doing this. I, I mean, I could I could relate, man. I used to, I'll see pictures of myself with the fur coat, the shades. I had all of the stuff. I was like doing a lot. It was like, and as you get older, you're like, I was doing the most. I was doing a little too much there, right? And I was doing it kind of for the wrong reasons based on what I thought yeah. the world would expect of me and what I thought the people around me ex- expected. But I wasn't happy in those moments. Like I really thinking back in retrospect is so powerful just to look at yourself when I was in the that in the addiction. I'll look at these photos and be like, man, like I remember being sad there. I remember feeling unaccomplished. I remember being depressed. I remember being insecure. I remember being angry, you know, upset with people that may have left me because I was in addiction and it was there for how dare they and and people who try to call me out, how dare they and people who left me alone, how how dare they abandon me and it was all that is me, me, me. And at the time I wasn't really taking too much accountability. Like it wasn't a really until I really had to sit down and was like, listen, if you had to deal with you, you would have cut yourself off because you was crazy. And you know that. Like, I can't deal with me. If I if I walked into the door now the way I was, I'll call the cops on myself. Like, this guy's nuts. So and it's <laughs> and it's real. Like, I can't even yeah. and then I think back of the patience that the people around me had like they would deal with this for years i can't deal with it for a day so i'm like you know i tell people look i'm the sober's dope guy i love you i talk about recovery but i get i'm still so early in my recovery that if i'm really approached with somebody that's really tuned up I get clammy and I kind of get like, yo, we either got to figure out a way to fix this. Uh, and it depends on how it was presented for me. Like if you're a stranger, I'm a little bit more like, all right, bro, what can I do to help? Cause I know I have an exit. Like I know I could get you somewhere and I could go, but if it's like someone close to me, like a family member or something, they come around and yeah. they going through it. I'm like, man, like I, I get like, it, it brings it all back. I see a reflection of myself. So at times it's like, I have to even remember I'm not too big. I can't be too big in my recovery. I have to remain humble. I have to understand the work is still on the ground. Sober's dope has to be about the addict as much as it is the person in recovery, right? So, um, right? Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, well, that, we had a conversation about that. Like, full disclosure, I, I started working in the recovery space um, out of out of want and need, you know? Like, you yeah. know how it is when you're in that creative hustle. Sometimes, like, that, that shit is <laughs> the first. Like, right. it, it was me crazy. Like, I had, had too much time on my hands you know so i was like i was hustling and that hustler mentality is not for me but like people were coming to me like you know you're really you're really being able to help people and i had a sponsor who told that to me he was like i didn't feel like i fit in you know i didn't feel like other people's stories were like mine 
And he kept telling me, he's like, one day, man, you're going to be able to help men, other men. And and I subscribe to the, you know, I'm friendly with, with women in, in the program and right. I'm appropriate. Step work I do is with men. And he's like, you're going to be able to help men, you know? And my story has been something that has been really helpful to other people, you know? And that like opened up a whole new world for me, you know? And, but now like being in the, in that recovery space, like, you hear about like that kind of holier than now attitudes sometimes that I think people can get into when they're newly sober or, you know, newly saved or newly whatever. Right. Like, you right. Know, you know, there's like an elitist thing about it, but like, that's not me. You right. know, like I learned, like I'm able to share this with you, like, because I went through the fire, you know, right. and like, I'm still charred. Like I'm not pristine from it. Like, so I don't have to act different. That's right. Know? And and I feel for people who are struggling too because I know how I know how how tightly I held on to it. You know. Right. And and, and yeah, absolutely, brother. When you see when you see someone else, like man, I I, I just it's crazy. Like in my neighborhood, like in New York, you go outside, like, and, and it's even as crazy as since the pandemic, like now it's just not addiction. It's full blown mental health. You see it on the streets in real time mixed with homelessness and addiction. And you don't know which one is fueling the individual. Sometimes it's like, well, like the other day, um, this guy who always used to give me a hard time, he was like a he's a wild dude, but he will always say kind of like racially offensive things. But as if he could like so he'll see oh, me God. and be like, he'll, but it's funny. Like, so I couldn't always at first I took offense with that. It started I started to like, you know what? Just give this guy a chance. So he'll see me out of nowhere and be like, I love it when they call me Big Papa. Yo, what up, black? And I'll be like, yo, what up, man? And, you know, I'm all like trying to walk through and being cool. And he'll be like, yo, to my brother from another mother. And he'll start with all of this stuff that he'd be like asamahaleka my brother but he was like pushing it like i and i and then one day i stopped and was like let me should i get on my street but then the other day i was walking past him and i wasn't in a good mood and i'm like yo if this dude say something to me i might spaz on him right because that old street pop was coming in and then i looked at him and i'm like yo you good and he was like i just want and i couldn't hear him and he looked like he was out of it. I say, yo, what's wrong? He said, yo, I just want an egg roll. And I'm like, what? He said, I just want an egg roll. And he was at a chi- he was trying to say he wanted an egg roll. And the people in the Chinese place wouldn't let him in because he was out of it. And I was like, yo, you, yo, I was telling them, yo, the guy just wants an egg roll, man. Like, I just was like, oh my goodness, man. It just really hit me. And I was like, I got him all the Chinese food he could want. I got him everything he needed. I sat with him. We became like really good friends. He tried to give me a um, it was funny. He tried to give me an um he had this like metal rod and he gave it to me and he just was like, yo, um, did give this to your wife or give it to whoever you with and all of this stuff. And that's the, for the, and that's when it came back to me after a while, how people could be really kind of like callous sometime because what if I didn't walk by all this guy was trying to tell the people is that he just wanted something to eat, man. And, mm-hmm. and I was just, and that, and that brought me back to my sober is dope story. Cause I was just like, literally, just in that same situation where I was kind of like, you know what? 
you know, 10 years ago, I was in the middle of the street just asking somebody for a dollar just because I had a, I was just at my wit's end. And I'm like, I just need a dollar to get to the next level. And people was like, hell no, I ain't giving you nothing. You look better yeah. than me. What the hell I look like? And I just was like, damn, the world could be that crazy. And it just really, 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 really um, just put me in a weird space at that moment. Um, and, you know, so with that being said, brother, I just definitely want to um, just shout out everybody in the space that can relate with that because we can't give up. So, yeah. So like I was saying, brother, my man just wanted some Chinese food, bro. We became good friends after that. And you know what? Sometimes it's deep. I, I wasn't even trying to I didn't even talk to him about recovery, bro. Like, I don't even right. do that all the time because sometimes you got to meet people where they're at. Like, I met him where he at was just compassion and like we could be friends and be cool. When I saw him today, he had his little beer. He was like, I was like, you need anything? He said, I need a cigarette. I'm like, all right, we'll go because he's an older gentleman. I'm like, yo, let's start there. You know, I'm not, I, you got to meet people where they're at. And sometimes the love is enough to convert someone, man. And I literally, this guy was like one of my neighborhood enemies. Like, he was such a pain in the butt. And now every time I see him, I'm like, I look forward to it. So, look, compassion goes a long way. You know, a little bit of compassion and love goes a long way. So let me ask you, you're, you said you're two years in recovery or four? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Two, just over two and a half. Oh, congratulations, man. Congratulations. Hey. That's powerful, brother. That's powerful. How you feel, man? I mean, I feel great. I mean, this is this is probably probably the the best time I've felt in my life ever. Probably, um, just uh, just a level of contentment that I didn't know was possible, um, and that's just a result of doing the work, you know, and doing it like doing it, doing it. Absolutely. So when you was talking about your um, the alcohol and, and the dependency, was there any mental health aspects to that also? Because for me, I had to attack my mental health issues, which was depression, um, as well as my addiction. And can you relate to that in any way? The mental health? Oh, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they were both like intertwined, like definitely like in uh, depression and OCD for me. I had it. Like, okay. Not so much in like... Um, kind of like outward rituals of like organization or hands washing or things like that. But I had a lot of mental ones, you know, which is very tricky for some people who have it as well as like reassurance seeking um, behaviors, but it all kind of like manifests and presents the same way at times, you know, like that addict mind, that crazy obsession, you know, but mine was, you know, I think that was part of the problem why I had so much trouble getting traction and recovery at times is I was so miserable sober, right. you know, because I didn't know what else was going on, you know, right. and, you know, and I mean, at the time when I, you know, when I was younger, like there was still a lot of stigma about that, mm, you know, where absolutely. it was like, 
there was a lot of embarrassment. There was a lot of judgment, especially in meetings and like, you know, there's just shame associated with it. And I, I sought out help from an addiction specialist. Right. And I was like, yo, man, like, I don't know if I want to like take anything and blah, blah, blah. Like, what if it stifles my creativity? And he's like, dude's hilarious. Right. <laughs> he's like, what stifles your creativity worse than being like in the fetal position because of depression? Wow. And I was like, oh, man. Like, wow. <laughs> you know, but, like, but keeping in perspective, like weighing the pros and the cons and like that, you know, I have to do that in all areas of my life. You know, like, yeah, is this guy? It's going to like, what's the down is the, is the upside better than the downside, you know? And, you know, I, unless you're treating the underlying issue, which may be a mental health issue, chemically, biologically, it could be PTSD, it could be complex trauma, you know, unless that's dealt with, you know, uh, you know, that, that to me is like the key, you know? Yeah, man, you said something that was deep that just hit me. Every day you learn something new. And I, I, I know my mental health stuff, but mental OCD is one of the deepest things I heard in a long time, bro. Because you think of it, like you said, of washing and cleanliness and organization, but the reassurance in your mind, always, you know, self-checking and always kind of overanalyzing and seeking. And a lot of that could tripwire someone, man. And there, a lot of people, this is like really tricky is like, sometimes people will obsess about things that they have a feared outcome of, but mm -hmm. where it gets really tricky. And I think this is where like the addiction thread comes through. Sometimes they're, they're trying to avoid a feared outcome, but in essence, they will create that outcome because there's a sense of control in it. You know, like, wow. And I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I can get really out of sorts, like transition, uncertainty. Maybe I get really squirrely. So sometimes I'll just throw a fucking grenade, you know, yeah. because I know how to deal with that. Right, know? right. And a fault. It's familiar. Yes. I, 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 I look at that in me with self-sabotage. Like when I had fear of a projected outcome or a situation, I will almost implant some form of sabotage to it just so I don't know. It was just so, so uh, like I would go to an important meeting that I was worried about and I'll be extra drunk. I'll say something offensive. I'll piss the person off. I'll curse everyone out. And then I'll be like, okay, good. Now I'm over that. And it's like, then I'll feel bad. I'll wake up and be like, oh, what did you do? And it was kind of like, you know, just not letting fear tear you apart. One of my friends, um, Lisa, she's a, a also a counselor, and um, uh, she helps people. She 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 said it's a rumination station. It was like she was oh, like, yeah. yeah, I love that term. She was like, yeah, it's room when rumination station roll in, and your brain starts playing, and you keep ruminating on those thoughts until it becomes obsession and fear, and then it goes out of control. I mean, that stuff is powerful, brother. I had this like really great trick that I would play on myself is like I would get in situations with like people, places and things that I didn't really want to be involved in. Right. And then I would like push them away. Wow. And then when they would leave, I'd be like, see, like, wow. I'm a piece of shit. And then I would, <laughs> and I would just like wallow in self pity and like, ultimately use you know it's like i was setting these traps you know and now and i and i meant to say this earlier something that you said really hit that for me of like when i deal with like the underlying mental health issues and i deal with the trauma and the wreckage of the past or whatever then i get to a place where 
you know, it's like that radical acceptance, you know, of like mm-hmm. I can accept the fact that you're not going to provide my needs for me the way that I need them to be met. And that's okay because I can accept you where you are knowing that I get to fulfill me where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Like I have the tools, I have the resources to, to care for me, to like be that parent on duty, so to speak, you know? Absolutely. And I think a lot of people like they're, they, they're, I, I'm personally motivated from a sense of lack. So I would keep something around that was not good for me because I was afraid that there was nothing else out there for me. Wow. You know, and that, that kept me in my addiction for a really long time. Wow. And, and part of you finding your recovery is acknowledging these things and just taking the steps towards trying to heal despite being plagued with these kind of like negative tendencies. Yeah, I mean, I, I like coined this term. I'm, I'm sure I didn't make it up, but I've been using it on friends of mine. I was like, right. I, I had to stop feeling my thinking. That's the first time I heard that. I think you made that up, bro. That's it. Yeah, I, I was I was like reacting to the shit that was going on between my ears. Feeling you know? my thinking. That's crazy. See, everyone. And, yeah, and my my ability to try to like, you know, make sense out of what was going on in the world around me is right. like, I'd been doing that since I was a child. Like I'd been, I've been going into my head to deal with situations that where I was incapable of dealing with. So now as an adult, if something triggering happened, I go straight into my mind and then I start ruminating and then I have a physical reaction that then I think is a feeling when in actuality I had to feel like whether it was grief, sadness, loss, like genuine feelings and feel those and process them. You know, which was way less painful than all the craziness that was going on in here, you know, and it's like they said, that's the longest journey in the world from the head to the heart. But once I like got to the heart and like processed it, just like it was like I saw colors for the first time. Wow. Wow, man. Um, And it changed the way I deal with everybody. Yes. Talk about that. Talk about that. How do you? How do you deal with people now in recovery versus when you was just really trying to push them away? What's the difference? What's that delta? It's, it's not. It's not your fault. Mm. It's not your fault. It's not my mom's fault. It's not my dad's fault. It's right. not my grandparents' fault. Like, it, it's not about fault. It's about my responsibility. It's How about my you? responsibility to be the, the person I want to be, to treat you the way that I want to be treated. And to just move forward in life knowing that I can be fully self-supported through my own contributions, emotionally, spiritually, and physically, and financially, you know? And financially, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Which was a novel idea to me. I was like, wait, you mean I got to work? What <laughs> yeah. is that? I'm right. a hustler. Right, right, right. And I I still struggle with that a lot. I'm not going to front because I came from the I come from this kind of like really big imaginative. You got to make it and get it. And like the idea of settling down to nine to five level status and being a regular like what I I want to say regular work. I mean, just going out to work in a structured environment for me it would be like I would have to turn on another brain. I'm a Libra by nature, so I would have to shut off the imaginative brain and go into the left brain and just become like almost a robot. That's what I felt. Like I was just robot out. And um, 
So it's kind of like I had to find that balance in myself and in my recovery and say, listen, it's okay to participate in the world as a normal person doing a nine to five while you dream big and do the other things. You kind of got to work them together. But for a long time, I couldn't get there. When I was in my addiction, I couldn't get there. And I think that was part of the self-sabotage. I'd rather just sit here, get drunk and do nothing than play the game. Right. I need to have my feet on the ground if my head is going to be in the clouds. Otherwise, I I'm like delusional. I love it. I love it. That's big. <laughs> right. And I, right. And I was fully delusional. Like I was literally like, I love it. I, I, I remember being so crazy that I was like, maybe like, maybe Ed McMahon will show up with one of those big checks. Right. All the problems will be solved. Like, not like really. I thought that was going to happen, but I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah I I, I'm with you. Oh, you just randomly win a lottery, even without playing. Like, yeah, I'm just yeah. going to win some lot. Lo it's going to come. It's going to come. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Oh, man. We started this uh, episode. I know you got to wind down where we said faith without works is dead. That's in the Bible. So I told everybody you could dream big. You could think big, but it's not going to happen. You could pull the law of attraction and all of that. The law of allowing is not going to work unless you put some work into it. So listen, I want to I want to close out here. Fun fact for everyone. You come from a very famous family. You have a very popular aunt in your life. And I wanted to talk about grief. And if that had if the loss of your dad had anything to do with your addiction and how you dealt with that and grief. And can you talk to us and reveal to everyone the fun fact of who your aunt is? And just talk to us a little about that family dynamic and you growing up and how that all plays out. Well, I'll, I will actually I will do that, but I will start with a lot of people find it interesting who my aunt is. I find it more interesting who my mother is. Right. Right. Um, my mother's name is Lorray. She's an Emmy Award winning casting director. Yes. And producer. She's amazingly talented, strong, independent, beautiful, and managed to survive me. Um, yes. Shout out, Mom, man. Great of a mother as she is. Yes. Um, Shout out, Mom. Even better grandmother to my son. Amen. Um, and yeah, fun fact my aunt is one Dolly Parton. Um, my father, Randy, uh, was her younger brother and he passed away in January of 2021. And, um, I did not grow up knowing my father. Um, I did not grow up knowing that side of my family at all. Um, I was completely estranged from them. Um, not acknowledged directly that I know of. Um, I believe I'd connected with Dolly through some mutual friends and even like a work setting in around like 2012 and um, started a just casual like email correspondence. You know, we were like pen pals. I like to tell right. people it's kind of funny. Right. Uh, good pen pal to have, you know. Right. Uh, my dad uh, became ill um, the end of 2019. And for whatever reason, that was the first time our relationship kind of gained some traction. And, um, uh, and there was a lot of closure in that, not not in the sense that it gave me peace, you know. Um, I felt good being the kind of person who would show up when they had a lot of reasons not to, you know. Um, I got to see see another side of me, right. you know, for better or for worse, depending on how you want to take it at times and. 
you know, I saw a lot of qualities that I'm really grateful to have and saw some qualities that, you know, I could see that I could work on. And, um, I'm really glad for the time that I got, got to be there. I'm glad that I got to connect with some of that family. And, um, you know, I realized that the hole that I, that I had because I didn't have a daddy and they didn't love me and they didn't do this and they didn't do that. It was a figment of my imagination. You know, um, those things did not define me. You know, I knew very clearly I was able to accept that that was not about me. That was not a reflection on my worth and my value. Absolutely. Everybody has a cross to bear. He had his, his family has theirs. And, um, you know, had I stayed coarse and callous about it all, I wouldn't have had that interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that I did have that. I'm glad that I was able to connect with him and, and be there for him. Um, when a lot of other people weren't, you know, uh-huh. and that's the man that my mom raised me to be. No one Amen. else. Amen, man. Listen, you are one of a kind, brother. I really, really admire you. Thank you for sharing that with us. That was like really touching and graceful. And um, and you are, and, and I wish you the best with your recovery and everything. Now we're winding down to the last two minutes. Can you tell everyone where they can find you, where they can listen to your music? Say, I was gonna say we always ask our guests to um leave us with some bite, a nugget, some advice, or something for the next generation of people in recovery. Um, any oh. words of wisdom? Yeah. Okay. So number one, right? I don't do a lot of social media. Okay. You can find me on Instagram. Okay. If you can't find me, you can find Pop. And Pop always comments <laughs> on my shit because right. he shows up from day one. So right. at, at Saving Mayfield, website, savingmayfield.com. Doing a little revision on that right now. You can, anywhere you stream music, you can find all my stuff. Um, it's just under Saving. And then any of the film work, Saving Mayfield. You can find Boom Boomtown on Amazon, iTunes. It's on Crackle right now, which is pretty cool. Time can't be wasted. It's on Amazon, iTunes, all these other SUD or not SUD, uh, SVOD. Um, you got me thinking about recovery. <laughs> and then, um, yeah. So there's not a lot of savings out there. So just uh, that's it. right. <laughs> my my uh, my dear friend Tori says this GTS like Google that shit. Right, man. right, right. The two best pieces of advice I've ever heard. The first one was a dear friend named Paul Santana. He said, no one is ever going to do more for you than you do for yourself. And my expectations of other people's ability to make me whole um, elongated my pain and suffering, right? I needed to take responsibility. I needed to fully invest in me, right? Or no one else was going to. And then the second piece of advice that I heard from a flight attendant on Southwest Airlines, which I think is like mind blowing, is sit up and be tense or sit back and relax. Mm. Either way, our flight time is three and a half hours. <laughs> oh, wow. That's what's up. That's you what's get up. to choose, man. <laughs> You get to choose. You get to choose. You get to choose. Friends and family, that's an amazing wrap for our episode with Saban Mayfield. This has been a very enlightening episode. You inspired us a lot today. Thank you for bringing it. Again, 
Don't doubt yourself. Love yourself. Rescue yourself. Take time to do the work. Reach out to community. Don't give up on yourself. I love you all. Thank you for listening to Sober's Dope Podcast with Pop Buchanan. And I'll catch you guys on the other side. Peace and love. Yeah, it's the remix, baby. Wanted me to write you a letter. Here it is. I wrote this in the song for you. Yeah. Here we go, yo. Hit them pop. Yeah, now this is history in the making. Took 20 years in the making. The guy breaking the mold that I was simmering, shaking. With cooker crack in the kitchen. The Peter King is my witness to the spiritual awakening. The change of weight and I'm living. Yeah, <laughs> but now I'm so and dope. And Pop already know there's something that we got in common. Living two worlds apart. Didn't even know the lights are stepping out of the dark. But now I'm shining like a diamond in the center of ballparks. It ain't always easy, but it sure is an upgrade. From hope to die dope, fiend with a pinch of a gun. Play. They say that only God can save an addict in his grip So I wrote it in the song that that was my experience